My name is Nia Fitzpatrick and I am a sister of Captain Dara Fitzpatrick whose body was recovered by Ackill Island or NLI on March 14th, 2017. Well, Dara as a sister, I would say, was really loyal. She was always in your corner. You know, Dara was very much about family. They were so important to her. We were so important and whether that was her her family family her home family or her work family or her friends family really she just loved who she loved and and I think then as a sister what you got was the girl who would have the straight talking moments she'd she'd give you the kick in the bum when you needed the kick in the bum but she'd give you the hug when you needed the hug um and just she's the girl who if Dara wasn't my sister, she'd have been my friend anyway. She's the girl you just wanted as your friend. And, and very funny, as a child, you know, she's a real little imp. Myself and my twin sister were three years older than Dara and she was a little imp and she couldn't understand how she didn't have a twin. How She'd say to my parents, you know, but they have one another. Who have I got? You know, a real softy, loved people, loved connection and, and wanted that connection. I suppose that we had and my mum used to say to her, I'll be your twin, you know, and and all this kind of thing. And a lovely girl and, and loved animals, um, champion of the underdog as a as an older sort of girl and then adult, really hospitable. If you came to Dara's home, you got a welcome she was a superb cook. She would rustle up something for you and you were just always made feel welcome. And I know we always say, you know, really good things about people who have died. We're not. That's what we do. She actually, Dara Fitz was one of the good people. She just really was. Dara was a search and rescue pilot with the Irish Coast Guard and she had about 24 years experience in this role. She was the most senior pilot in the company. And uh, late on the evening of March the 13th, it was a Monday, March the 13th, 2017, there was a call out. A fisherman was injured off the coast of Mayo on the west coast of Ireland. I think it was about, it was around maybe 140 miles out. It was quite a way out. And rescue one one, um, Eight helicopter from Sligo was tasked to go out to the vessel to bring the fishermen back and at some point in that evening a phone call came in for what was called top cover and Dara was on the Dublin base rescue 116 which was on the east coast of the country she was the commander that night and they were tasked to go and provide top cover for their sister helicopter rescue 118 who was going to go out to the vessel but 116 would be there as communications, as backup for the 118 helicopter. But sometime after midnight on Tuesday, the 14th of March, Rescue 116 was flying into Black Sod to refuel, to then go out to support her helicopter sister. And um, Rescue 116 crashed on Black Rock Island and ditched and went into the sea. Communications were lost at 12.46 and that's what happened on the night of the accident. The first that we knew about it was the next morning about six o'clock. I actually live four doors away from Dara. Um, my house is literally sort of right beside hers and Dara lived with one of our other sisters and her young son, Dara's young son. He was coming up to three at that time.
And at six o'clock in the morning of Tuesday, 14th of March, I got a phone call from Emer from that sister to say, the helicopter's down, come over. So I just raced out of bed, told my husband, rang my parents, rang my other siblings. We gathered together. We went over to, I went over within minutes. I might have been over there in a minute. Um, and there were two men from Dara's organization, the Irish Coast Guard there. Uh, one was a good friend of hers. We've known him for years. And they told us all they knew, which was that communications were lost with the helicopter. It was down and they knew no more. And so we gathered in Dara's kitchen that we had spent so many times with her, you know, sitting around the table, having birthday dinners when she adopted her son and she brought him home. You know, we spent hours, days with her. We supported her as a family in that role. And we waited there with him asleep upstairs. And about six hours later, we had heard during the morning that a body was recovered from the water. We knew nothing. So that sense of knowing there was, we didn't know the extent of the catastrophe. We didn't know anything about any of the crew, but we knew there was one person had been recovered. And knowing that, but not knowing who it was, was just, it was torture. And about six hours after that 6 a.m. phone call, somewhere around lunchtime, two other men from Dara's company came to the door and asked to speak to my parents and my mum and, and us. My dad wasn't home yet. And um, they told us that the body that had been recovered from the water was Dara's. And that's really, that's what happened that day. For me, when I heard that Dara's body was the one who had been recovered, the feelings first actually were not emotion. They didn't feel like emotional feelings. They were physical feelings. It was it was vicious. It was violent. It was it was visceral. I felt it in my body. I don't remember. I don't remember the actual emotion of the moment, but I remember the initial sense was like being hit by a freight train at top speed. I, my, my stomach sank, my, my heart sank, my chest felt empty, the breath went out of my lungs. My whole body just felt as if it had been hit by something enormous. And I, it was as if my body had, uh, had acknowledged before my mind did that Dara was never going to come back. And so that was how it started without question as time went on. And I would say very shortly after that, as time went on, became a huge gratitude, a huge sense of gratitude for having Dara, for having Dara back. You know, um, that lunchtime when we found out that Dara had died by the evening time, about five or six o'clock, we were being driven as a family across the country to Mayo, to Mayo General Hospital to bring her back home. Because when the helicopter ditched, obviously the May Day went out and everybody was scrambled and um, Rescue 118, for whom Rescue 16 had been doing top cover, 
they took the fishermen off the vessel and they came back and they were searching the area um, life boats had come in, the Ballyglass lifeboat, the Ackle lifeboat, Ackle Island lifeboat had come in and they were all searching the area and Rescue 118 found Dara, saw her in the water and they knew it was Dara because they saw her hair. Her ha she, had, she had made immense efforts to get out of that helicopter. It had ditched and while she was in the water, she had done the dunker um, training a couple of weeks before and that's where they put them in a helicopter simulated in a pool turn it over upside down turn the lights out and they they practice getting out i have no doubt that that helped get her back to us so dara at the depths of water somehow got her helmet off got her seatbelt off did what her training had taught her got herself out of the window and tried to get up to the surface and rescue woman eight then with their searchlights they saw the body lying in the water they saw the red hair they knew it was dara they tried to come down to get her and the winchman got within an arm's length of her and the seas the conditions that night were horrific visibility was horrific the weather was awful the seas were terrible he couldn't get to her he couldn't reach her and so they called in the Ackle boat that was near her and Ackle then, uh, Dave Curtis and his crew um, recovered Dara from the water and took her onto the Ackle boat. So that sense of relief after the initial viciousness of knowing that she had died, there became, as we drove to Mayo to, to bring her home, there became this great sense of gratitude that we were going to be permitted the fortune of being able to do that. People grieve differently and some people in their grief need information and need to know. And the mind, I'm a psychologist by profession and I grieve Dara as a sister, but I have the shadow of my profession. It does not in any way take away the pain. It helps me maybe understand some of it and navigate it. And I understand that some people need information. I am one of those people. So Dara died on the 14th of March, 2017 and somewhere around the 16th of May, 2017, I just needed information. It was haunting me that maybe she had been alive from the time when the helicopter ditched to the time when she was recovered. And we had gone to Mayo. Her helmet was washed up on the beach. We had seen where she died. We All of that. And the seas in Mayo were big, wild, angry seas. They're not the same as the seas here on the East Coast. And this image in my head of Dara on her own in these huge seas at night wondering what was going to happen to her was just devastating and I decided I needed to find out so I put in a request to ask if I could meet the crew and I drove to Mayo a friend came with me I drove to Mayo on this day middle of May and how brave were they to agree to meet they didn't know me they didn't know what I was going to say, what I was going to ask, what I was going to want from them. They had been through such trauma themselves. This recovery was such that when they 
took Dara from the water, they could see she was lifeless. There were no signs of life. But they began CPR on her and they worked on her for 25 minutes. And the sea conditions were so appalling that night that one of the crew had to hold down the other crew member as he continued CPR on her. He needed to be secured. They worked under horrific conditions in terms of sea conditions, but they worked under horrific conditions in terms of knowing that they were working on one of their own. The Coast Guard and the RNLI work so closely together along with many other agencies. And Darrow, you know, as I said earlier, Darrow was about loyalty. So Dara loved those teams that she worked with over the years. I'd been up in the helicopter with her at different times. I, we spent, you know, times with her on each base she worked at. We know what those agencies she worked with meant to her. And so I know that those crew on the boat knew that they were working on a search and rescue member like they are, one of their own. I think for them to agree to meet me was immensely generous. It was immensely brave of them. And it began a relationship between them, between us, that continues to this day. So I remember going into a room in the Ackle lifeboat station and there was just the crew. There was just Dave Curtis and his crew. There was six of us and, and my friend there in the room. And we sat around the table. <laughs> they had tea and they had sandwiches and nobody ate any sandwiches. It was just, we. I cried. Sometimes they cried. I just asked questions. I said, please don't mind me crying. Just let me ask the questions. If that's okay, ignore my tears. Just don't let that stop you telling me the truth. They were amazing. They did not flinch. I could look at them in the whites of their eyes and they told me about that night and what they did and how they did it and I asked the tough questions and they answered them with honesty and they told me things that when they realised that really they had to call a time of death um, they wrapped Dara in blankets and that was on once so upsetting but the, that idea of your sister being wrapped in a blanket but at the same time it was so heartwarming that these people just minded her they didn't leave her alone they wrapped her in a blanket and they took care of her to that level so the relationship between my family and the Ackle Island lifeboat crew has remained one of mutual respect and love I would say since then at some stage during one of the many lockdowns that we had over the last couple of years, I spotted that the RNLI were running a campaign, a launch a memory campaign, and that there was going to be a new lifeboat coming to Clifton on the west of Ireland. And people whose loved ones had died had an opportunity to donate and to have their loved one's name placed on the boat. So I asked my family, they all agreed straight away and I donated and we put Dara's name, Captain Dara Fitzpatrick on the boat. And the lifeboat has recently come to Clifton and we weren't able to see it yet as a family. We'll go to see it soon. But for me, what that means is, you know, Dara spent her life 
and dedicated her life to saving others at sea, to 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 search and rescue, to bringing people home, to minding them. And one of the things that I always say to the crews in the lifeboats that I meet along the way is you help people even if you don't rescue. If you recover, you you save lives in a different way. And what happens now is that Captain Dara Fitzpatrick gets to be a part of a rescue team again. And I cannot describe to you what that feels like to know that she is still doing good even after her death. And there's something so fitting about her name being there. And I I sent down to the crew. I have a, a memorial card of Dara's that I have here at my desk and they're beautiful. And I when we knew that the lifeboat was coming to Clifton, I sent a memorial card down to the crew and I said, I just wanted to say thank you from our family for allowing Dara's name to be on this boat. And I thought you might like the card because I sort of like to think that she's there going to be watching you, minding you, guiding you on your training and on your shout outs. And they sent me a photo and, and the mem memorial card is up there in the base and it just feels fitting. And we're so grateful to the ORNLI and always will be grateful to the ORNLI for allowing us the chance to do this and ultimately for bringing Dara home to us. One thing I think that's important to say to lifeboat crews, who very often are volunteers, who go about their business of being a teacher or an accountant or a guarder or whatever they are, and then the pager goes off and they get out of their beds and they leave their own families to go to the aid of a stranger. And I suppose a message that I would have for anybody lifeboat crews is to say, you make a difference to people's lives in ways that you never even realize. You touch people that you, you will never know. And I think, I, I do get a sense sometimes from crews I talk to that there can be a feeling that if we don't rescue the people, if we don't bring the person home alive, that we maybe have let down or we have not done good enough or we have not made a difference. My big message is to say you absolutely make a difference, even if what you have done is recovered somebody to bring them home, to let their loved ones see them, kiss them and say goodbye to them. Know that what you are doing is make a difference. Hello, this is Griff Rees-Jones. You've been listening to the RNLI's 200 Voices Collection. To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org slash 200 voices or subscribe to RNLI wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you for listening. 200 Voices is an adventurous audio limited production for the RNLI.